um, then defined in the Westminster Confession, chapter 19, they whom God has accepted in his beloved, he has effectually called, he is sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. So I've listed some scripture proofs in your notes um, from uh, the Old Testament, from the Gospel of John and Romans. Isaiah 43, here's what the Lord says. He who formed you, fear not, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In chapter 54, the mountains may depart, the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Probably one of the greatest uh, passages um, really in the whole issue of salvation is Romans 8. It ends with this um, in 31 to 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be, who can be against us? Um, that if is, it, he, he's saying since, in a sense, since God is for us. Uh, God is for us, and, and who can be against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So this text answers some of the objections, and we'll talk about some of the objections in a few minutes. But it starts to answer that. Who's going to bring a charge against the elect? Because it is God who's justified. Christ who has died. More than that, he was raised and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, it is imperative that we understand this steadfast love of God and that it is different. We, 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 we want to be that way to one another. We want to be that way to our spouses, our children. But his love is so infinitely deeper and greater than, than the love that we have for one another. And so as often as we struggle with this, it's, it's, it's because we find ourselves unlovable. <laughs> and we wonder, uh, how can he still, uh, how can he still leap the mountains to meet with me after what I've done, after my cold heart, after my rebellion, after my idolatry? Um, so the focus is on his choosing to love. So uh, any questions so far on those, on, on that, the definition and some of the scripture proofs? <clears throat>
Okay, so the objections, and, and there are many to this, um, and it's important that the doctrine is understood. I have uh, many of my Baptist brothers that find ministry to people post-conversion one of the most difficult things. Um, and uh, one of them here said, you know, that first month after they're saved, he goes, I can teach them, and then after that first month, they don't learn anything else. <laughs> And I was like, that's terrible. I, I don't know why you would think that, you know. Like, I've, I've, I've learned and grown so much more in the last 10 years than the first 10 years. Um, and, and so what, what happens is in our culture, the prevailing thought is that salvation is really God plus me. God offers this plan. Will I accept it? Do I have faith to receive it? Um, will I stay with him? Um, and, and so many conversion stories come about in this manner. I, I'm wrestling with sin, or I go to this meeting, or I go to this youth camp, or I go, and um, I, I have this invitation, and then I'm given a prayer, and I say this prayer. Um, and that, that, that prayer is, is you know, usually it is, it is a spot-on prayer, but oftentimes people don't understand exactly what they're praying or what they mean. Um, but in, in the sense that a believer is at that point then given assurance. You've said this prayer. Did you say this prayer? Did you mean this prayer? Well, then you're saved. And, and nothing, nothing is going to take that away from you. you you've, you've done this. Uh, believers long to have something like that that they can hold on to, an experience an encounter. Um, for many, it's then the baptism. Uh, we Presbyterians, we baptize babies. And so one of the objections often from parents is, well, what about that baptism experience? What about, you know, when they, when they finally walk that aisle, when they finally make that profession, we're robbing them of this experience, this date on the calendar. They can look back and say, this is the day I was baptized. And, and from this point on, I knew I was saved. Now, um, I've had parents approach me with their children, um, their infants, almost in a panic of, when can we get the baby baptized? Because what if something happens? Um, and and you know, what, I, we need to do this soon. Um, thinking that, again, that, that sprinkling on the infant, that sacrament is what's going to seal the deal. Um, in, in Reformed circles... Um, the salvation of the believer has never been in doubt. Um, God wins. He saves those he's chosen. They don't trip up. They don't accidentally die on the way to youth camp and never get a chance to say it. Um, when we say in our liturgy this morning, is God sovereign? Um, and, and, and we answer basically, yes. <laughs> He is, he is sovereign over everything. And so none of his elect will be lost. Um, so what, what happens in some, in some circumstances is that that person says the prayer, they write the date in their Bible, and um, it, it's as if for many of them, they can do whatever they want after that. Like I've... I've, I've, I've you know, I've got the stamp, I've, I've got the wedding ring, I've got the, whatever it is, 
that there's this sense that um, God flipped the switch somewhere, and, and because I said these magic words, I'm good to go. And, and so when we say once saved, always saved, that, that tends to be the mindset. I, I did this deed, I said this prayer, um, I was even crying, I really meant it. Um, and, and then who is to ever question that? Now here's another place where that shows up. When I was doing a lot of funerals for Brian, back when he was at Worley, um, I would meet with people, and I mean, the, kid, the person could have been the worst person, <laughs> and someone would remember, you know, back when he was four, he said this, or back when he was six, he did this, and, um, and yet there was no fruit. And so here's what happens. Um, ministers, Christians, who get frustrated with this, um, we, we tend to, um, teach doctrines of works righteousness. You're saved. Yeah, you did this, but um, what have you done since then? Have you fallen away? Um, and, and one of the objections is we have known people on fire for the Lord and then walked away. I met with someone last week, uh, two of his kids uh, in college. Uh, walked away from the faith, you know, said, I, 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 no, longer, I no longer identify as a Christian. Um, and what, what do we do with that? You know, they, they were raised in a Christian family. They made professions of faith. And, and now they're saying, uh, we don't want anything to do with Christ. Um, were they saved? Are they still saved? Will they come back? Uh, and so our um, experience can tend to drive our theology. And so um, we'll talk about that in a minute, and, and we're going to go to the larger catechism, because the larger catechism takes each of these objections as a question and answer, and it's helpful for us. Um, now, you guys have heard me say this before about my buddy who went to camp, became a Christian, and he told his dad, Dad, I became a Christian, and the dad said, We'll see. <laughs> all right we'll see you know we'll see son um and the son was kind of mad about that and i was like well you know what your dad is saying um it, it, it's not just a change of status uh to be saved it's a new creation and so the the person isn't just um i've switched my voter registration from this party to this party um, when the Spirit comes in, we call that regeneration. Dead is brought to life. A heart of stone is taken away and a heart of flesh is put in. Um, for parents, at times, it's hard to know when, when did this happen? What, am I, what, what do I see? What are the results? What are the fruit? But then you feel like if you're looking for fruit, you're actually saying, well, you're saved by your works, as opposed to the works are bearing witness to what has happened internally. Um, so I put in under number three some of the object objections. Apostasy, uh, that would be what these two uh, college students, these two children of a friend, have, have in a sense committed. Apostasy, and they would probably tell you, I was a Christian, and I'm no longer a Christian. Um, and so what, what does that mean? Uh, backsliding, you guys ever heard that term? Backsliders? Yeah, I was a friend that always, always 
accuse me of that. Are you backsliding, Kuiper? Um, where is this sense that you have progressed in your sanctification and now you've kind of slipped back? Uh, stagnation, you know, periods in a believer's life where you just feel like I have not grown any closer to the Lord. It doesn't seem like um, He is active. He cares about me. Uh, I can. It seems like I could just uh, care less about it, or uh, just plain fruitlessness. And so. In, in all of these objections, the weak link is the believer. Okay? In all of these objections, the weak link is the believer. And it is good for you to look at your own soul, your own life, your own works. I mean, it is, it is right to have brothers and sisters in your life that, that, that look into these things. But the biggest mistake is you're looking at yourself, um, not at your Savior. Now, uh, when, I, when I preach, when we go through liturgy each week, my hope is that, that two things will happen. One, that you'll understand maybe a little bit more the depth of your sinfulness in some new area, some area that you haven't seen before. That the light of the gospel will shine in the safety of God's mercy and grace, will shine in your heart, in our hearts, areas yet of unconfessed sin. Or areas that we have we have uh, we have been slack, and in that, the other thing that I that I always hope happens is we have a bigger view of God's love and God's grace. For as our sins increase, God's grace increases all the more. So the weak link is <clears throat> to think too much about the believer. Um, <clears throat> question seventy-eight. <clears throat> Excuse me, larger catechism. I don't know if this has been rewritten in modern English. I, I couldn't find it. Whence arises the imperfection of sanctification in believers? Uh, that question, why do we still sin? <laughs> why do believers still sin? Um, why do pastors sin against their congregation? Uh, why, do, why, do we still, why do we still have it? And again, the evil one in the life of a believer will point at that sin and say, surely you're not a believer. Surely God's mercy is not going to continue to reach to you. The answer is the imperfection of sanctification in believers uh, arise from the remnants of sin abiding in every part of them and the perpetual lusting of the flesh against the spirit, whereby they are often foiled with temptation and fall into many sins, are hindered in all their spiritual services, and their best works are imperfect and defiled in the sight of God. So when we are saved, we are counted as righteous. We are in the courtroom. We are justified. That's a legal term, justification. You are counted as righteous, not for what you have done or who you are, but because of what Christ has done, what Christ has accomplished. You are counted righteous. You are not yet righteous. You are considered in many ways sanctified because you have been uh, set apart. You have been um, covered. But question 78 says you'll still wrestle with sin. Uh, the texts I put in there, you could look them up uh, on your own. Romans 7, Paul, he's wrestling with his sin. Uh, one, of the, one of the greatest passages on the wrestling of sin in the believer is Romans 7. 
I mean, he just, he just says, I, you know, I want to do these things and I don't do these things. I don't want to do these things and I end up doing these things. And that's what leads into that beautiful chapter 8. There's no condemnation now. Um, Mark 14, Peter denies Jesus. Was he lost at that point? No, he, he denied his Savior. In the midst of temptation and fear, ego, pride, who, whatever it was, he denies his Savior. In Galatians 2, Paul tells a story about confronting Peter's sinful behavior amongst the Gentiles. Uh, he, he, had, he acted like a racist amongst the Gentiles uh, when he was with his Jewish buddies. So the Scriptures account for that. Uh, the Old Testament saints account for that. Uh, David, loved by God, and yet commits these grievous sins. So, um, uh, sin in, in your life uh, does not necessarily say you're not saved anymore. Um, in, in fact, and, and I know I say this all the time, but when I do premarital counseling, I, I ask the couple, what kind of sinner are you expecting to marry? Because you're marrying a sinner, what kind are you expecting to, you know, what, what, what does your future partner do when uh, they are confronted by their sin? Um, so, uh, sin still arises in believers. Um, I had a parent when I was a youth pastor, rumors about their daughter came to me and I went to the parents and um, the mom said, well, she became a Christian when she was 12, and she hasn't sinned since. And I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, um, she hasn't lied to us since. She's not, you know, everybody else is wrong. Um, how dare you? Uh, how dare anybody accuse my daughter of sin? Um, and, you know, that, that was kind of that, that thought that the indwelling spirit was going to keep her from sinning. Um, question 79. May not true believers, by reason of their imperfections and the many temptations and sins they're overtaken with, fall away from the state of grace? Um, the answer, true believers, by reason of the unchangeable love of God, and his decree and covenant to give them perseverance, their inseparable union with Christ, his continual intercession for them, and the spirit and seed of God abiding in them can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. <clears throat> so... Um, let me just pause for a moment and say the, uh, the most common application of this doctrine is to Christians that are overwhelmed by their sin. Okay? That, that, that's the most common application. Uh, almost always, that's when this doctrine gets brought up. Not when someone is wholeheartedly walking away from the faith. We don't, we don't rest back on that, and that, that's kind of what I was saying. You, you look at that date, and like, well, you know, no matter what they do, no matter how they act, I know they're saved because they did this on this date. Um, this doctrine isn't used 
to affirm rebellion against God, to say it's okay for you to denounce, blaspheme, walk away. It's fine. Even if you don't want to be a Christian, it's too late. You already said the prayer, right? It, it's not used in that manner. It is used in the manner of the, of the Christian, of the sinner who is overwhelmed. Something comes up. They fall in a way, in a big way maybe. Or they're just so tired that they continue to struggle with something, and they're like, I must not be saved. That, that the person who cries out to the Lord because they're overwhelmed with their sin is probably closer to the Savior than the one who doesn't. Because it, it, it's the Spirit of God that brings that com- conviction. It's the Spirit of God that doesn't let you rest. Uh, my first semester of college, I was like, I'm going to just pretend to not be a Christian. Away from the family, away from the church, away from everybody. I'm going to try not to. I'm just going to. I missed out on so much fun stuff in high school. That, that was my mindset. And in a semester, half a semester, I was miserable. Miserable. I couldn't enjoy what other people enjoyed. Why? The Spirit of God was in me, saying, you're not, you're not meant for this. This is not for you. Uh, you won't find pleasure and delight in turning away from me. Um, in those moments, would it appear outwardly uh, that I'm not following Christ? Probably. Um, but God did not let go of me. Um, Jeremiah 31, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've continued my faithfulness to you. 1 Corinthians, God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 7, He always lives to make intercession for them. Uh, I have her 32, that should be Jeremiah 32, talks about His everlasting covenant. Question 80. Can true believers be infallibly assured that they are in the estate of grace and that they shall persevere therein unto salvation? Um, So this is a question of, can you walk out of here being certain? (laughs) Can you walk out of here being certain? And, And if you walk out of here and you're not certain, does that mean you're not saved? Great question. Such as truly believe in Christ and endeavor to walk in all good conscience before Him may, without extraordinary revelation, by faith grounded upon the truth of God's promises, and by the Spirit enabling them to discern in themselves those graces to which the promises of life are made, and bearing witness with their spirits that they are children of God, be infallibly assured that they are in the estate of grace, and shall persevere therein unto salvation." That, that question is saying that believers will vary in their degree of comfort. They will vary in their degree of, of comfort and acceptance of the doctrine. Acceptance of the doctrine is not necessary for salvation. All right? you, you may believe that you can lose salvation. You could be saved one day and not. That, that acceptance of the doctrine doesn't, doesn't necessitate your salvation. And so there will be Christians at times that just struggle, battle with it. You know, how, how can he still love me? I'm not so sure he's still going to love me. Um, and so that answer says there, there are many, there are some that will have such an assurance. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, my dad passed away almost two weeks ago. Um, 
no, no, a week ago, Sunday. Yeah, on Sunday, the Friday before, um, for me to be able to pray with him on FaceTime and him rest his life <laughs> on the fact that he was saved and he was going to be with his Savior. My mom, the next day, amidst tears to be able to say, Bernie is with his Savior. He longed to be with him, and he is with him, and he is secure, and I miss him, and it hurts, son, it hurts. Um, uh, that is ours. That's ours to have. And we teach this doctrine because it glorifies our God when we trust in him. I am trusting in you, Father, that you didn't send your son just on a whim. You didn't hope it would work. But I am trusting you. I'm trusting you more than I'm trusting myself. I am trusting that you will save me to the end. That you called me and you've made me yours. And, uh, and, and you're not going to let go. Um, question 81 deals with the feelings and doubts. Are all true believers at all times assured of their present being in the estate of grace and that they shall be saved? Assurance of grace and salvation not being of the essence of faith, true believers may wait long before they obtain it. And after the enjoyment thereof may have it weakened and intermitted through manifold distempers, sins, temptations, and desertions. Yet they are never left without such a presence and support of the Spirit of God as keeps them from sinking into utter despair. We've read um, the first part of Jesus' high priestly prayer the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> Think about how his prayer before his crucifixion uh, encompasses this doctrine. He had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Uh, so beautiful, full, and complete. In his prayer for us to hear uh, a reminder of exactly why he came and what he did, that the Son came to carry out the work of the Father to rescue sinners. Now, it's awesome because our text today in 1 Timothy, in the middle of Paul's testimony, he says, uh, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He says, Timothy, uh, you know, I've said this to you before, I'm sure, but I just want you to remember this. Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. <laughs> um, and that's the summary of the doctrine. Christ came to save sinners. Any questions? Uh, I'm sorry, let me just get back to that, the, 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 the couple of girls that I was talking about. There are either one of two things that have happened. Um, in your notes, the la that last page, do you have 1 John 2? Is that typed out? I have the whole text there for you. Uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 
And then he goes on to say, but this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. So <clears throat> God, John is saying <clears throat> that there be those that uh, for a season belong to the community of faith. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says the same thing, that there have been those that have, that have been with us, that have tasted, that have, that, you know, that have seemed to be believers. And yet the fact that they leave, the fact that they uh, um, disassociate themselves means that they were not believers. Now, it almost seems like a cop-out answer, right? Well, uh, we, we did think they were Christians. We told them all these promises, but now they're gone, so these promises don't apply. So I guess they were Christians and they weren't Christians. Um, it, it seems like a cop-out answer, but it is, how it, it, it is the right answer. Those whom God saves, he keeps to himself. Now, and I think I've told you this, my kids know this, there are seasons in each of my kids' lives where I was certain they were saved and I was certain they were gone. <laughs> right? There were just these seasons of like, how can you think this? How can you say that? What about all that we taught you? What about God? What about the Bible? What about, you know, just those, those moments? And um, we look at the fruit of our lives. Uh, we, we, it's right to look at it and to see. Uh, what's going on? What do I believe? How is it, how is it operating? Um, but salvation is all of God from start to finish. And those he calls to be his, even if they try, they can't get away from him. Uh, he holds them close to himself. So, All right, next week, canonicity. And then we'll start our series of one book of the Bible each week. So... Any other questions? <laughs> All right. Thank you. <clears throat>